Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Jess Kiefer on the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Levy. So is it true that you're related to Kiefer Sutherland? People have actually asked me that. So I I think I'm just going to start saying yes, because (laughs) that makes 100% sense. Kiefer being his first name, although I think it's a very fine name. I mean, one of you is Japanese, right? So the family name is switched or something? Obviously. I I don't know the the politics of Japanese marriage yet um, at all. Well, I'm just, obviously you're not Japanese. And Kiefer We're on Sutherland. radio. You can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> I always like to say, you know, I have a face for radio, so maybe I have a Japanese I face for radio. You say that stuff all the time, but it's a little silly. <laughs> it's the best joke ever. I no, that's that's actually my joke. <laughs> that right. and the only one person follows the show joke. Right. You know, we're on your turf because a lot of times I'm like, oh, only one person listens to the show, and then I saw this guy in real life who listens to the show, and he was like, I'm that one guy who listens to your show, and I got like angry. I was like, are you mocking me? Like. <laughs> One, don't quote me to me. One, don't quote me to me because it's uncomfortable. And then two, a lot of people listen to the show. So screw you, buddy. Yeah, millions, millions of listeners. Oh, yeah, My favorite is when yeah, I actually yeah. say millions of viewers. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, no, they sit there and they watch the, the timer scroll across, you know. Just waiting for it to be over. They use it, you know, to like cook a chicken or something. This is like Spielberg. Watch that thing. Move. The animation, the graphics, it's it's amazing. <laughs> you watch it backwards when you do mushrooms or something like that. Play like Pink Floyd with it or something. That's going to be a new DreamWorks movie. I'm telling you. You think it's, yeah, play Pink Floyd. <laughs> the other day this guy was like, I want to be on your show. And I'm like, I'd love to have you on the show. Not really, however. But, you know, we'll have you on the show and then we'll play your episode backwards and then maybe you'll be interesting. Because this is the same guy that gives me a lot of shit a lot. So. And so yeah. he knows that you're never going to put him on the show, right? I mean, never say never. You know what I mean? Sometimes those are great interviews, you know. Anyway, you're here today, which is also a great interview. One time far along in the past, you were born in Chicago. I was, yeah. It wasn't that long ago. What was it like being <laughs> born? <laughs> what was it like being born? How was that? How did that treat you? You know, I, I don't remember a ton of things about that, but uh, being born in Chicago, I think, really solidified my interest in cities and why I'm here today. Oh, is that true? In New York. I think so. I mean... I mean, I moved to Phoenix when I was like nine or something like that, but I never feel like I grabbed onto the idea of being a Phoenician, as they're called. No way. Yes. Is that what, really what they're yeah. called? No, they're called Phoenicians. Isn't that landlocked? It is landlocked, yeah. Okay. 
Because, you know, the Phoenicians, they were known for ships and stuff. I don't know. I think, think it's a funny choice. When California breaks off, we're going to have beautiful oceanfront property in Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. It's probably next week that that's going to happen. Well, I, so I never, I never like grasped onto the idea of being from Phoenix. For some reason, the the outdoors didn't speak to me. I really liked the uh, the, the bustling the desert and stuff. Exactly. The I mean, George I, it's O'Keefe stuff. A beautiful place to visit, obviously, for inspiration and meditation and all of that, but not the place for me to live. So, um, I I think that Chicago is the reason that I, I ended up in New York, and I didn't want to go back to a city that felt too familiar. When I moved to New York, it was to move here because. I didn't know anybody. Oh, I just thought you wanted trains underground. You're like, I want this fucking thing. Well, to I don't be love driving. The street. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I don't love driving. So yeah, maybe that was a part of it. Just in the back of my mind, Libby. Chicago's like set up with these really long streets sometimes, or like avenues or something. Like, well, it's it's thing. It's it's a grid system, just like New York. There's a couple of like diagonal streets, but again, you kind of need a car there, or the L train doesn't run in the same you know consistency as the subway here. Oh, is that true? I mean, I, I, again, I haven't lived there in forever, but um, I did spend a summer there and it was like, you better get that train before it's like 2 a.m. Otherwise, first of all, you're not going to be wanting to hang out downtown. It's a little more, it's a little more empty too at night. I feel like in New York, you're kind of never alone, at least in Manhattan. You can walk home at like... Sometimes I'd prefer to be alone in New York, to be honest. Well, sure, but like... As a lady walking around sure, sure. at night. You want some um, other people there who can hear you when you scream for help. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I definitely walk like a badass on purpose just to uh, to show my alertness. <laughs> Your gams? <laughs> I don't know. What is that? No, but you know. <laughs> Your fierce runway walk? <laughs> Your blue steel? You never know when you're going to need to use it. You never know when there's going to be a runway battle. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true on Fashion Avenue. So, Arizona, what do your parents do? Um, my mom's a social worker. Okay. And, uh, a lot so of money in that. <laughs> so much money. My parents were like really on that, that road to, to money success. She was like, what mansion do you want to live in today, <laughs> honey? We're going to choose a new one. Exactly. But it, it allowed, uh, me to have someone who luckily was not tired of listening to people all day long talk about their problems. Oh, okay. And she would actually sit down. I could and, see how it would go the other way. You would think it you know could I mean? go that way. I helped people um, on welfare today. Why don't you mind your own business about your homework? You know? Yeah, like someone's got an eating disorder and their brother died and they, no, she never talked about that. She would always. That'd be awesome if she guilted you on it. I mean, not really, but she's like, this is what you come to me with. I see real problems in the world. No, you're right. I think maybe that would have prepared me for some other things in life. <laughs> she was a little tougher like that, but no, I think her being super understanding and, and a great listener allowed me to talk about myself a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you got into broadcast. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I think more of why I got into broadcast is because my father is a, is a journalist. He, uh, when I was a little kid, he was a, um, a freelance ski writer. So he'd be going to Argentina. That's a good gig, actually. Yeah, no, it's a great gig. And especially in the 80s, I mean, travel writing was the cool thing. Right. Um, so he was traveling around the world, skiing, eating, drinking. Um, he speaks four languages. So I think a lot of my interest in culture. I kind of want to be your dad right now. I mean, you know, I'm just saying. No, he's. he's that sounds like a good uh, setup. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, he, he's he's amazing. He's a brilliant guy. He writes uh, now currently for the Arizona Republic. He's their main court and crime reporter. So. Um, is he a Phoenician? 
Well, I mean, he's originally from New Jersey, but he uh, he definitely likes being a Phoenician, I think. Um, how however, did you go from skiing to court and crime? He's like, <laughs> like, how did that work? <laughs> well, I think there was these amazing rafts of like ski thefts. Like people were taking people were taking ski boots. Well, I mean, he definitely still does the travel writing. However, oh, okay. I think the um, court and crime is a lucrative gig. I mean, right. look at like Nancy Grace. There's so many. Crime shows, I mean, unsolved mysteries, man. There's always going to be work. There's always going to be work, and especially in Arizona right now. So now, you know, instead of talking to him about, you know, skiing or, you know, traveling, we're talking about, you know, death penalty, (laughs) the Jody Arias trial. and He's like, why did you come to me with your problems? Didn't you know? Yeah, he can kind of more say that to me, absolutely. (laughs) Don't you see what I see every day? Exactly. So, um, but, I mean, both of them really, I think, made me interested in talking to people and in culture and in i don't know where i'm going with this levy but didn't you work in for a tv station over there for a while well so my father certainly i think influenced me as being a journalist and you know isn't that what you you do when you're a kid you're like why would i ever do what my parents do but i think ultimately you kind of end up doing exactly i mean it's either doing exactly what they do or looking like them or saying the same things your father or your mother would say. I felt that way exactly about the salad spinner. I was like, that (laughs) is the most ridiculous device. Like, why would you ever use that thing? It sounds weird. It acts weird. It's like a carnival ride. Now, can't live without it. Salad spinner is, do you have the like, it's like the, it's got the black button on the top so you can stop the spinning. Oh, no, no, no. I do it in real life. You do it by hand? Oh, yeah. Crank that baby up. Get the flow moving. They still sell those or did you get a vintage Perpetual motion. (laughs) Hey, I'm a hipster of the salad spinner. A lot of other guys, they're about turntables, not this guy. You're like, I've got the original. Salad greens. It's <laughs> amazing. Totally amazing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I in uh, my father certainly influenced me despite all my own desires, what I thought I wanted to be. He um, also told me not to do it. <laughs> so I decided to do it and um, try to pursue a degree in broadcast journalism. Which is uh, is what I got my degree in. Um, and it was great. I was kind of interested in maybe going the print route. But then I realized, in my opinion, the broadcast people were more fun. Kind of a little bit more energy and um, more fun to hang out with. So I... Better looking, probably. Better looking, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Dress um, better. Yeah, because they've got to be on TV. <laughs> absolutely. So I ended up being the associate producer for the TV station for my college, which was Arizona State University. What was that like? It was great. It was it was so much fun because we would have, you know, we'd have one big meeting and we would, me, the executive producer and another um, associate producer would, you know, kind of give out stories. We would, you know, obviously it was college stories. So it wasn't like hard hitting news. Like I did a story once about how the uh, the most popular bar across from campus had to close because it was too close to campus. <laughs> it was too close to a school or something like that. Important stories for me at the time. Hey, Absolutely. talking about real life. Totally. So um, we would um, we would do that. It was it was such a great community. Breaking and news: the happy hour has moved from five to seven. They actually, I will tell you, Dos Gringos is the bar that was across from Arizona State University main campus in Tempe, Arizona. They were, I believe, well, at least definitely the number one seller of Coronas in Arizona. $2 Coronas every day. You can see what reading the paper really did for you. (laughs) (laughs) I know what the facts are. Well, and even back then, look at me. I'm trying to do stories on booze. 
But the the follow-up question is, did they also sell a lot of limes? That's the follow-up question. Oh, yeah. I mean, they probably have completely contributed to the lack of limes in this world. <laughs> Absolutely. All those college bros. I'm going to trace it to the source. They even had a plunger that you could take shots out of on your 21st birthday, which I did. Um, that anyway. was probably a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so so doing the, the TV station in, in school was, was fantastic. And then afterwards, I kind of found myself without a reel to send off. You know, you have a resume, but when you're in, in TV, you should have all of the stories that you've done kind of looped together in a, in a, in a tight little package to, to send off to TV stations. And um, school didn't prepare me for that for some reason. So I um, went to my father and he helped me kind of um, get my way into the TV world in Phoenix. And I started as an associate producer for um, Good Morning Arizona, which basically meant kind of like just a news writer. Good Morning Arizona is a morning show, obviously. The song is Good Morning Arizona. <laughs> At least they didn't save somebody else's state by mistake. Well, we... Hello, totally, New Mexico! We totally wanted to. And, and we were working from like 1.30 in the morning till 9.30 in the morning. So we're kind of like a so bunch of pirates. So that's great. <laughs> Those are good hours. Oh, man. It was, it was, it was super intense and, and actually too hard for me to handle. But I did have some fun doing it. Arizona is famous for not having daylight savings time. Oh, is that true? Yes, that's true. Oh, interesting. You know, it's like Japan. Maybe you are Japanese. (laughs) Very possible. They also don't have daylight savings time in Japan. Because it doesn't make sense, Levy. It's not really necessary. Did you know that Spain and Germany actually are on the same time, even though Spain and it's not really next to Germany and it's closer to Portugal, which has an hour difference from Spain? Are they just trying to follow each other's trends? Yeah, it was because of fascist leaders. And they were like, let's get on the same time frame. Seriously. I believe you. Yeah, Franco was like, you know what? Germany. Yeah. Well, so then Arizona's, you know, trying to be a little fascist by not following. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to imply. <laughs> you know, they probably tried to secede from the union before. Anyway. No. Um, so on April Fool's Day, we decided to write a fake story that that uh, Daylight Savings Time had been oh, put like- into play. So starting tomorrow, we oh will be God. starting. Did Daylight you really Savings screw time. some people up? It was we didn't in that moment, and I, and a like, lot you know, of people were early for church. Is that what happened? Or well, basically, late? I mean, in that moment, a, we didn't really realize the impact of of what we were doing because we're like we're on a, like a you know TV show in Arizona. It's not even a network. It's like a, a local station. It's kind of like New York One essentially. So we didn't really think we were going to fuck anything oh, yeah, up. It's just like New York One. <laughs> but we got in a lot of trouble. But it's hilarious. Come on. April Fools Day. Have have a little humor Arizona. At least you didn't drink out of a plunger again. That would be <laughs> No, I mean I'd probably done that like a few weeks earlier. <laughs> so that's where I was thinking. That's where my uh, my mind was going. But how did the segue come from you being in Arizona working in broadcast to you being in New York working in wine and doing the the radio show that you do? Like I said, I wasn't super happy doing the overnight thing. And when you're 21, I don't think that it's all that easy to commit to a job like that. Well, to (laughs) be happy. But, you know, my my friends were Were you listening to The Cure a lot and stuff? No, I was listening to a lot of um, Riot Girl. Oh, okay. Lady Punk Rock. Lisa wasn't Alanis Morissette. You know what I mean? You know, Alanis Morissette was actually the first concert I ever went to with my mother. Really? Is yes. that true? <laughs> yes. It was great. Again, my mother's very understanding. She's a fun lady to hang out with. <laughs> so we had a great time. She'll see a Canadian show. Whatever. Yeah, she will. Yeah. 
I, I do. Alanis Morissette's Canadian, right? <laughs> She's I, definitely Canadian. Okay. I don't know that much about her, actually. I feel like some people actually, have, I, I recently heard someone say, I won't listen to Alanis. She's Canadian. Oh, is that true? <laughs> I won't name names. <laughs> Nationalistic at all. Pride. I was like, no, she's You know, it's probably another Canadian. Very, they, very sometimes possible. they get down on each other. I believe know. it. Is I it believe like it. a Montreal, Toronto, like... Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I don't know. I've only, you know, spent the last four years working for a Canadian, so I don't know. Oh, really good point. Is he the one who said it? No. Now, now we're really all. fighting the dirt. Not at all. I'm sure he's into Alana's. So, no, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm pretty definitely... sure he's not. <laughs> the, other, the other day, Paul, your boss, was like... Uh, yeah, there's a really good band from the 80s called The The. That's what it's called, The The. And I was like, that's very Paul. It's so Paul. Of course he loves that. You know, He's going to write a page on it. super obscure. Yeah. It has like this crazy name that's, you know. I feel like he would support all things Canadian. So I'm still going to stick by the fact that he probably likes Alana's. But I mean, is, so I did listen to is Alana's. Is that the show on NPR in Canada? All things Canadian. It's your host. Be. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome, actually. All things Canadian. Today, we're talking about... Where they have those same rhythms and they like talk kind of slowly and distinguished, much like this show. Absolutely. Absolutely, Levy. Um, so, I mean, again, my friends were going out, having fun. Being and kids. Being kids. And I... Drinking out of plungers. Really <laughs> it was really hard to not do. But also what was hard is that I got paid like $10 an hour to work overnight to write copy. And I'd been working in a restaurant called Raw Sushi, which now has... I think probably at least 50 locations around the United States. It's it, like really it's actually expanded. Not spelled R A W, is it? No, it's R A, as in like the sun god, I believe. Because when I read that, I didn't notice that part. You well, know what I mean? Any, I mean, I think that's that's the point. Right. Right. So it's, it took me a while. So mo- some of the sushi was raw with a W. Absolutely. But um it was a great it was a great job. It was, you know, huge turn and burn, really fun people, really loud music. And I would just sling sake bombs and I made good money doing that. And so it was really hard for me to. Did you find that people fell asleep like customers? People did a lot of things. <laughs> it was, again, a college town. Because <laughs> I just find with sake, you know, sometimes people fall asleep at the table. Well, when you're, I mean, I think maybe that's why you bang on the table to drop the, the sake oh, cup into, into the, oh, the glass into to actually keep you awake. Very, very possible. Very possible. You, that, mean, that way you can do more. Um, but it was, it was really hard for me to justify. Wake up, give me more money. <laughs> Seriously, give me more. Well, no, you know, come on. I, I'm, I'm kind of like, I don't, I'm not a big rule breaker. So if people were getting a little out of hand, I would tell them. And it was the kind of restaurant where I could do that. I, I could feel be like you would do that. I, I, <laughs> I feel like you would do that to me right now. Absolutely. If I ask me again about the sucky bombs, huh? <laughs> and then you would like wag your finger. Yeah, exactly. Nah, 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 nah. I'm just kidding. I like that I seem militant. That's you don't, great. You, know, I, well, you do listen to riot girl bands, Jesus. I do. Uh, yeah, that certainly helps helped me be be more confident. And all the stars were just like little fish. That yes. kind of thing or different. Well, I mean, obviously, Hole is a part of part Riot of that. Girl. Was that um, too glam for that? Well, that one's Live Through This is certainly an awesome album. I think it's a little. I mean, obviously, it went mainstream. Right. So obviously, little, I heard it exactly. It's a little, a little more um, approachable, if sure, you will. Sure. Sure. Um, so I was listening to a lot of like Bikini Kill, mm-hmm, Slater Kinney, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. fun stuff like that. You know, you've got them in your CDs. I'm sure it's right next to the Bob Marley and the Burt Bacharach. Exactly. <laughs> but as I think many people in this in this industry can understand, 
I didn't make any money working as a journalist. And so it was oh, really I hard. Oh, you were going to say listening to. <laughs> no. I didn't make <laughs> any money though. listening to Bikini Kill. I <laughs> certainly didn't make any money listening to Bikini Kill. Not at all. Um, but I, I couldn't justify staying at the TV station because I was making more money. And to, at, the, to, at the sushi place. You're making some place. serious coin. And well, no, not like, but, but I enough mean, to pay my rent. Right, right. And right. one was a job that was making you down, and the other was doing something else, building a career. Yeah, some which is like some that. silly shit like that. When you're 21, you're like, I'm going to live forever. <laughs> um, so after after the TV station, I ended up working um, as a, um, a segment producer for a nonprofit organization. So I would put together the executive director of the nonprofit's package to go on to the same TV station that I had just quit. <laughs> You're like, I know how those guys work. Exactly. And luckily, I was working during the day, but uh, I still had to work at the restaurant. And I think I kind of was addicted to it. I liked the the energy and the um, and the community. And it was it was so much more fun than sitting at a computer and and writing things. And again, I was in my early 20s and I just was thinking I didn't want to live in Arizona anymore. Yeah. And well, that's a fair statement. Yeah. I mean, it's super conservative. It's really fucking hot. So I was ready to to leave Arizona. I was going through a breakup, and so was my best friend at the time. She had an aunt living on uh, 110th and Central Park West. Oh, okay. Like, with a view of the park. and that's, that's, That could be pretty nice. It was so right, yeah. I, I, I can't say that I, I can complain about my first three months in New York. So we moved in with You've her aunt. Options. You can do cheap Thai food takeout, or you could do soul food. Just depends on if you go left or right. Well, I mean, I, I will say that you kind of have to walk quite a ways to Broadway, even though it's really like the yeah. ne- you would think it's the next block over. Yeah. Those we avenues were, are long. It was a little desolate. However, it was beautiful. We were right by the park. And the best part about it, Levy, was that I didn't have to pay rent for three months. Yeah, that's a good thing. And um, I kind of realized after three months that, you know, I was done sleeping in the same bed as my best friend and ready to have I don't my know. own place. I would jump back <laughs> if I had free rent. I'd be like, hey, friendo. What's going on? <laughs> Let's snuggle. It's cold. <laughs> no. That didn't you happen. need this pillow? I'm cool. Yeah. It was, I mean, it, but it was a great, it was an easy introduction into New York. It really allowed me to familiarize myself with the city and to um, to meet people. Because I wasn't really worried about paying rent. So who do you meet? So I definitely met. What's really funny is that I met someone I knew from Arizona. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. It's like somehow we saw we met each other in I don't know some point in college, and then we rekindled our friendship here. And so I only was hanging out with people from Arizona. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, but I, I met I met a good friend, Ming Lee. He he's now the GM over at Mission Cantina and he's been you know, he he was a great buddy to have because we we got to live together. And so uh, I moved into a couple apartments, but his apartment was was my main uh, apartment that I got to stay in, which was down on the Lower East Side, and I lucked out again because the building was like owned by the city at this point because it was so badly run. They had had no heat or hot water, and I'm telling you that I was lucky because the city had come in and taken over and dropped all the rents to like like $1,500 for a three-bedroom on the Lower East Side. Oh, wow. So I got to move in again, you know, with almost no rent, uh, which was which was really lucky. And, New York's um, easy if you don't have to pay rent. It's no, like so I mean, I, I can't believe that I lucked out. I, was, I really, I probably could have had a hard time in New York, but I didn't in the beginning. 
So I still had to get a job because now I had rent to pay. So someone I was dating was like, oh, have you ever been to B Bar? It's a really cool place. That was actually the first bar I ever went to in New York, ever. Really? Did yeah. you, Did you? for what reason? I asked the cab driver. I was like, hey, man, I'm only here for a couple hours. Can you just, what's a cool bar? Can you just take me there? Which is not a good way to find a bar, by the way. No. <laughs> And that's where he took me. And I was like, Because it had bar in the name. I think so. He was like, this must be a bar. It was probably on his route home. He was probably like, you know, whatever bridge he needed to cross. Like on the so way to the Williamsburg like Bridge or something. Closer to that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I do. Absolutely. That's kind of what it seems like the clientele that goes there. It's like, oh, I just ended up here. They told me this was a cool bar. But when I was there, I was like, these people are so sophisticated. This really? is the big city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's like no hoey. It's on Bowery. It's... Well, it was a little grittier then, too. This mm-hmm. was uh, over 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know? And well, I, I believe that one of the owners was like a music. He was like one of the music video pioneers like oh, he did true? videos for madonna and i don't know what a, the list of of other artists is but i've so literally I, never been i back. do think that at one point it was a cool place so maybe the cab driver was really steering me right on it yeah absolutely but when i, I went, wondered why i ended up making out with madonna that night now it all becomes clear <laughs> no that was the drag queen <laughs> yeah yeah no, no doubt <laughs> probably um but when when i was there it was it was still a cool place but i had to wear these like this little tiny blue dickies dress which is the worst thing to wear when you're waiting tables like if you why bend over i've never worn a dress okay so it's short and oh, okay. um when you're wearing an apron it starts to like cinch up into the apron and so you bend over and it's dinner and a show. <laughs> I don't remember that part, but I kind of wish I'd spent more time there now. Absolutely. I think you they probably still have it. They probably, Go back. yeah, probably. Hey, this is <laughs> Jess is like still got your name on like the tag or whatever. Yeah, probably. So Absolutely. it sounds like it was a little bit exploitative. It wasn't it just wasn't my favorite thing at all. Yeah. No. And when you're going up to someone and you're trying to be taken seriously with your job, you're kind of like, you don't want to be wearing something that is so suggestive. At least I didn't. And I, I worked mostly lunches there. And uh, what happened working lunches was I would wait on this this group of regulars who ran a magazine. And I ended up just being pretty forward and saying, hey, do you need an intern? Because I didn't have any leads in the journalism world. And they said, yeah. Oh, how did that work out? Which, um, you know, it was being an intern, which means doing a lot of grunt work. And I think at this point, you have to pay interns, but I was an unpaid intern. It was for a magazine called Tokion, which focuses on art, fashion. Napa Valley Cabernet? Oh, no. That's, that's <laughs> Tokalon. Okay, there sorry. you go. No, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure there was wine in there. No, not at all. There, there's not. There's like liquor, lots of liquor. Fashion parties like that, right? Popular again today. Maybe some champagne. I don't know. But I mean, I would basically deliver magazines to fashion houses and oh well that to, could kind of be cool just to see what that world's like yeah i mean but it's just a lot of hitting the, the, the streets yeah. yeah exactly but at um, least you get to like see their offices and i find fashion offices kind of interesting to go to because you're like wow you're wearing camo capri pants right now <laughs> i've never seen anything like well they that. never let me they would like never let me pass the, oh, the front so, you so saw, i like, saw the, the, guy, the receptionist oh, person hello, who's Mr. like mohammed how yeah, are you exactly nice security outfit you have there <laughs> exactly. did you, you make that patch yourself make sure this gets up to uh you know right, guests right. or Seven whatever L? guests yeah. <laughs> like guess. yeah is guests like still something wow i think so i mean they have cool <laughs> ads you know it's like so you know working as an intern with token i eventually got hired and as an administrative assistant which i realized i'm really not the best secretary 
But um, it was still fun to like feel like I was a part of the journalism world. They didn't really let me write much. I I definitely pitched things to them. I'm assuming that my my voice, my writing voice, was a little too sarcastic. And oh, really? Cynical. Um, <laughs> and I think humorous. So of right, course, right. They, why would they want right, that? Right. Well, you have to be very serious in the art world, right? I I mean, I guess I don't know. It seems like they only make fun of rich people, like their clients. Usually, that seems to work for them well. I, I don't know how that the art world works, really. Well, no, I mean, I it know. seems like that's the point. Like, you know, make fun of old white guys, usually. That's the art world. When I see it, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. That's, that's the wine world, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> We're getting there. Absolutely. But um, Tokion, unfortunately, wasn't doing so well. It was around 2008, and I got laid off. So I didn't have a journalism job anymore. And around that time, I wasn't working at B-Bar anymore. I was working at some terrible restaurant on 7th Street and 2nd Avenue, the only restaurant I've ever walked out of. It was not the most oh, fun place to be. Oh, you mean you walked out of your job? Not like, like literally walked out of my job. It was yeah. the only time you'd ever like left the restaurant because that would be weird. <laughs> like, I'm still here. No, I mean, it was literally like... You just bounced. You're yeah, like, fuck y'all. Like, quit yelling at me. This place sucks. find my way to the highway. <laughs> exactly. And uh, again, like I... I'm kind of surprised I did that because it doesn't seem very mature to uh I think everyone should like, do it once, an honest statement. I think everyone definitely dreams of it. Maybe doing it in an, in a more, I don't know, elaborate way, like throwing a chair through a window or something. Oh, really? That would have been so fun. I'm nonviolent. Nonviolent? Well, sometimes I don't know. Again, the bikini kill is definitely making me. Right, 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 <laughs> right. <laughs> so eventually I did get a real job in a restaurant. So what was that? That was working at Bookeria. Oh, okay. That's a popular place. It is a popular place. And I was, it was, it was only one location. Yeah. Seamus Mullen. It was when he was there. And it was the first time that I worked in a place where we talked about food and wine in such an elevated way. And there was so much education. There was so much focus on teaching the staff about Spain itself. And about why these foods come from these different parts of Spain. And yet you didn't learn the time zone thing, did you? So I don't know. (laughs) I'm calling bullshit. I think we only talked about like Franco and that he made them, you know, plant a shit ton of Iren and... Like pie Franco? Like it's own rooted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just just because it's going to multiply. It's going to grow, grow, grow. And it's going to... We don't care. We just need to make wine. Yeah, there is a ton of it. So... Like in terms of acreage. Did you know that it, the vines are actually really spaced out? So when they say it's the most acreage in the world, it, it's not that there's more vines than other vines. It's just that there is a lot of them, but they're spaced out quite a bit. I didn't know that part. I think Seamus needed to do a little more work, <laughs> quite frankly. I'm a little disappointed in his... Uh... <laughs> oh, no. I dis- well, I disagree, but yeah, I mean, who knows? I Maybe it went in one ear and out the other, Levy. I'm just giving you a hard I can't. Time. I can't keep my mind on one thing at a time. You know, time, the amount that I can talk about spanish wine is what i just did like that's about it so really <laughs> yeah, wow well it's not well, a strong subject it's, for me it's kind of it's the way i learned about wine and so for me spanish wine was the building block and luckily it's you know not as complicated as france or as italy it was kind of pretty cut and dry doc do this and that grapes that grow in that region and a lot of tempranillo <laughs> so i think that it was a really good building block and I stayed there for, for almost, for like two and a half years. And I eventually felt like being in the, in the country of Spain was, uh, was great, but I needed to get out. 
and I needed to learn more. But it sounds like you encountered like a real restaurant that functioned well and wasn't absolutely it wasn't it just wasn't about level. like you know B bar was like a sceny bar and Barrage was an awful place. <laughs> <laughs> I have no shame. I have no shame saying that. And uh, I mean, I got fired from Schiller's, so obviously things didn't work out there. And but Boca Rio, like a like, resume builder, actually fired I, from it, Schiller's. Yeah, well, it's not actually, known for think, great service. No, I, I think I'm a good server. I just i i don't i i didn't work well with the management. Oh well, that happens. Yeah, absolutely. And I had two jobs. I was working at the magazine, and I they hate that. Ultimately, they want to just be able to schedule you whenever, and then when they can't, they get frustrated at you as a person. I think. They want, like, all of your commitment. Well, 100%. You know what I mean? Which, you know, is just totally reasonable. Do you do that now as a manager? And you're like, what do you mean you're working for a literary magazine? That's bullshit. You get in here on Monday. I I try to be understanding, Levy. I do. <laughs> that sounds like, yeah, that's exactly what you do. <laughs> that sounds I, like not a real answer. I want everyone to have their, their outside thing. I don't want terroir to be their only their only thing that they do i mean so how did you end up at terroir what is it? so my good friend will piper and i worked together at bookeria and he had just gotten a job at the new terroir that was opening H- um, have you ever been to arizona i don't know if will's ever been to arizona are you sure he was really your friend that <laughs> sounds like i you know i i know he's never been to chicago <laughs> I don't know if he's never been to Arizona. Regardless, Will hooked me up with uh, Nicole Siani, who was at the time the GM and the beverage director there. And I was, I was, I knew that I didn't want to go down the route of being, of cooking. I didn't want to do that. And I didn't want to be serving forever. And if I was going to be serving, I wanted it to really challenge me. Right. And so going to terroir seemed like the best thing because I was going to get an education and more of an education. And I, I had really craved what I got from Bocaria, but terroir was going to be such a step up. And I knew that I, I wanted to talk about wine because of what I learned at Bocaria. And so I, I got an interview with Nicole. How did that go? I it, it went well. I was fucking terrified. I went and bought like, I think, a 1980 version of the World Atlas of Wine, which I mean, so Burgundy was fine. <laughs> Bordeaux was fine. Not many changes. Did you keep calling German wine hawk and stuff like that? No. I Luckily, I, I don't even know how far I got into the German one. I was just like, I got to read about Riesling. They do this thing about Riesling. And when I sat down for the interview, Nicole was like, don't lie to me about wine. I will know that you're lying. And I was like, oh, crap. That was like totally what I was planning on. No. Um, so I... Because it says Sir Lie often on yeah, exactly. bottles. That's, I mean, I never took French. How it, It's exactly what I thought it was, Levy. But I did well enough to to kind of pass her test. There was like questions about, you know, flavor profiles, Rheingau versus Wachau. And I had no idea. So that's the only thing I think I bullshitted on. But at the same time, she luckily didn't expect me to know everything about wine. They weren't hiring servers, so I became the food runner what was and that like? cheese cutter. It was uh-huh. humbling. Cutting the cheese. <laughs> Always cutting the cheese. What, um, what does that entail, cutting so, the cheese? So cutting the cheese entails when you come in, you get the delivery of cheese usually every day. At that time, we were crazy busy. So, And, and it's a wine bar goes through cheese. It just happens. doesn't matter what it is. People love it. So I would prep all the cheese. I would cut it. I would weigh it. 
and I would take care of it. And that was actually something that I really hadn't spent any time with before. Yeah, I, and, I don't know much about it either. And you can talk about cheese the same way you talk about wine and definitely can talk about terroir with cheese. And so it was, it was, it was great. And because I was the runner, I wasn't waiting tables. So I would be able to taste a lot. And after my shift, I would go downstairs, I would write notes, I would go home and look up the producer, and then I would come back to work and the wine would be sold out. <laughs> right, because they kind of go through things pretty we, quick. We, yeah, we plow through things. So, And there's just so many options that like you're bound to grab one that is going to be gone in Plus, a second. the Tribeca terroir is pretty high volume, seems like. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So I eventually got hired on as a server, and I I loved it. I loved the way that I could approach tables with confidence and with desire to to have such an amazing list of things to pick from and to to get them the right thing and seeing that like instant gratification of seeing a guest enjoy something wanted to help people absolutely and and wine was a really fun way to do that and it was also a way for me to to learn and take what i had learned and put it onto someone is just drinking wine and just learning about wine and kind of give it to them now I don't like throw it at people. That's that's the worst is when you sit down and someone just tells you all the things that you don't about a really red and spacing and vines and stuff. You're you like, know, I didn't ask, asshole. Yeah, I didn't ask. I didn't ask. Don't don't throw it down my throat. But it was, you know, it was great. And Nicole eventually decided to leave two years into me being there, which was about two years into the restaurant being open, and asked me if I wanted to take over. Didn't she go to like the West, like Arizona? Or she Mexico? went to Miami. Ah, where she grew thing. up in Florida. <laughs> yeah, she grew up in Florida, so she was ready to uh, to go back there and, and maybe to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, sure. to, to try her I'm options there. I'm not saying there. she put on weight since then. No. <laughs> No, not at all. But she, yeah, she was like, you know, I've been in New York and why don't I, why don't I see what I can do back at home? Because what I know, and I think a lot of people have been doing this, what I've learned in New York, you know, let me go put that in Miami where they don't have a ton of things like the places I've worked. And I didn't really know that I wanted to go into management, to be honest. I, I didn't really feel like I wanted all that responsibility. And I was a little worried to start managing my friends who I'd been working with. Yeah. For hey, two we years. used to do pot in the bathroom. Now fucking clean that up. Was or it, like, like that? you know, I, I love Nicole, but when you have a boss, like you're going to complain about your boss with other people. Right, right. Which right. I'm sure. Did you lose friends and stuff? You're like, what do we do now that we can't go out and complain about our boss after work? Because I am the boss. Well, it, it definitely did kind of change. <laughs> put a strain on change. friendships. No, it didn't put a strain on any friendships, but it definitely, I think, changed what I heard. Um, but I also feel like... As a boss, I'm not a dick. <laughs> so I'm, and I'm also, I appreciate the the staff that I have, the staff that was there at that time, and me. Like, we have a lot of opinions, and I want to hear your opinion. And I may tell you that I don't care about that opinion, or that opinion, opinion is not, you know, something that we can manage at this moment. I but, don't care what you think about daylight savings time. That's not a change we're going to be able to make here at the restaurant today. Exactly. So get it out. Get it over with. Something to that effect, certainly. And I, but I do think that I now have looked back on the way I behave to bosses in restaurants. And you were like, I was a little shit. That yeah, that's exactly kind of what I, I feel yeah. because I, again, I, I did have, have a lot of opinions, but I didn't have any insight as to what they were doing, what right. else they were doing. Because there's a lot that management does behind closed doors that the staff doesn't see. That and translates as to, we didn't have a problem with that. 
like, oh, that guy spent five hours working on that. That's why the computer thing is, that's why the white keys are in there. But yeah. It's not like they come to you at the end of the shift and go like, hey, thanks for making sure that those keys worked. You're like, they don't, <laughs> no. you know what I mean? Thanks They're for like, making, yeah. Oh my God, we used the credit card processor like 20 times with no problem. Thanks, bro. Thanks High five. so much for spending two hours on the phone with Mike Rose. I really appreciate it. <laughs> the menus are updated and reflect <laughs> the actual food. Like, it's only when things go the other way that people talk to you about it. Like, exactly. This says pimento cheese. It's actually Macheco. Like that kind of stuff. You know, Which, I mean? you know, I think I probably threw fits about sometimes. And I'm sorry to all of my <laughs> former bosses. I'm sorry to you. No, but I, I have a great staff at Terroir. And, but the biggest selling point... What are in they t- like? I mean, who's drawn to working there? People who crave knowledge and who, who want to learn. My, my staff... I've, I've actually found that the best staff to hire is, are people who, who maybe just moved to New York. Oh, okay. You know how people often you're say... You're looking for young yous? Is that what you're doing? No. You're like, where, no, are you, where, are you, where are you living? Central Park West? Maybe. No, but I think that I'm I'm looking for people who aren't jaded and who oh, are excited. Okay. And Keeping you know, with the no dicks rule. Exactly. I want people to be generous with their knowledge and and not, you know, make people feel bad about what they don't know or, or pretension. And I'm so not okay with that. I really want people coming in... And probably having a solid base on wine, but coming in with the idea that they're going to learn and they're going to learn with the guest. The more you talk about it, the more you look up, the more you read about, you know, the more that you can you can give to other people. And that's the staff that I hire. I mostly hire, most recently someone was like, I don't know a ton about wine and I really wanted to hire this person. And I was like, it's okay. You're a great server and you can learn about wine. And that's some of the mantra that I learned from Paul. Paul knows that wine is takes it, it takes time. It takes time to learn about things. It takes time to learn any subject. You, you know, people don't come out of the womb and like know about history or something like that. But I think often people say to people in the wine business, how did you learn so much about wine? And I mean, the answer to me is obvious. I'm but brilliant. No, exactly. No. <laughs> I came out of the womb this way, the bottle in hand. Um, but that's that's kind of Paul's mantra is, is we can teach anybody. We can't teach them how to have common sense and how to be like a ni- good server. Nice peeps. Yeah. Hire nice people. And and that's what I've been able to do. But I mean, what's the end run of that? At some point, do they get so smart that you fire them? You're like, you know too much about wine. Get the fuck out of here. Is that like <laughs> soy and green? Like all, this, all the really educated people get like recycled as food for the youngsters coming to New York. Because like, I don't want to look bad. <laughs> I'm no. just saying, like, you know. No, I... Is there room to grow in that environment? Like as an employee, like if you buy into that, is it kind of like working at B-Bar but for wine? Like at some point are you like, you know, not young and good looking and wearing the Dickies thing anymore and then they can your ass you know what i mean oh we want young friendly people and when they get old and jaded we'll fire their ass no 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 you move them up into management oh okay Okay. (laughs) sorry i missed that part i i mean i think that's that's a good point and and certainly i think if people get jaded it's not about learning it's about the environment or it's about waiting tables and i i think that i'm i'm humble about what i know and so if someone knows something that i don't i'm like tell me about it that's awesome. But Great. don't lie. Yeah, don't lie about it. Yeah, I, again, that's that's definitely a mantra that I have is don't don't lie to a table. Don't don't walk up and if someone asks you a question specifically about the bottle, the producer or something like that, don't just say something. Or maybe you haven't tasted something. Don't don't tell them that you know what it tastes like. 
you can say, well, I haven't tasted that. I imagine because of where it's from, this is the grape. This is what it's going to taste like. This, this and or that. You could just pour them a taste. But don't or don't bullshit. Right? That's that's so not fair, and that's to me not a good business. But it's probably some a situation that's faced frequently with a place that has forty wines by the glass, and th- things change a lot, right? I mean, it it would be hard it, to keep. It on is. Top it's of that. it's overwhelming. I I know when I first started, I heard two of my coworkers talking about movies, and in my head, I was like, how the hell can you be thinking about anything else but this right, list right, right now? <laughs> like, yeah. I I can't, all I can think about is wine, which is, I mean, a great intensive way to learn. And I think the staff doesn't always know. And, and I do my best every time something comes on. We, we taste every day. So we taste almost everything. There's 40 wines by the glass. So usually those end up on the bottle list. So often they've already tasted those. And, um, and I do my best to to relay that to the staff of what what it's going to taste like and what what I know about it. And um, so, it, but it's, it, it is overwhelming. It, it certainly is, which is why you have to be humble. Sounds like more like a sommelier level of tasting as opposed to like a, what I would think of as a waiter or server level of tasting. One hundred percent. The staff is they are all floor psalms. They they do everything. They cut the cheese. <laughs> <laughs> they talk to guests about wine. They talk to guests about food. They help me stock the cellar. They help me carry things. They help me screw in light bulbs. If I didn't have such a hands-on staff, I would be there 24 hours a day. (laughs) Exactly, and in the dark. There's no lights. Absolutely. Um, And I think that's one of the best things about terroir is that you can go into any terroir and you can talk to the staff honestly about wine and they're going to find you exactly the right thing. I, I mean, I'm not... I'm on the floor as like a second set of hands often because they are well, so good. At least you have a set. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's always that manager with just one arm. Exactly. No, I like to say that I'm an octopus. <laughs> I have a lot of hands and things. But, you know, I they are floor psalms 100%. They, they don't need me to talk to their table about wine. And that's what I want. So who comes into the restaurant? Like who's the person that goes to Terroir Tribeca to dine? Terroir Tribeca is really, really lucky because we have we have a, a, a large, a broad group of people who come in. There's certainly the financial guys who, um, because we are in Tribeca, we're, we're so close to all those financial institutions. Citibank is right there. JP Morgan, Amex. We get a lot of those people. And those are the people coming in who want to drink more classic wines. They want to drink Burgundy. They want to drink Bordeaux. They want Barolo. They want Barbaresco. That's what they're looking for. Or they, they drink Narragansett. They drink a lot of beer. Something oh, like that. They, drink, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, they drink rivers. What? <laughs> they drink. I mean, I did once tell a drunk guy that Narragansett was Native American for water. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> he said he wanted a, like, a really light, refreshing beer. What is it actually? I mean, is I have it? No idea. It's okay. got to be like an Indian. Just breaking your own rules. I like name. that. <laughs> Don't lie like I just did. Yeah. Ex- well, I mean, it was. he found it humorous too. He knew do I as I say, bit. not as I do. <laughs> exactly. Uh, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. And then we also have, we have, Tribeca is such a neighborhood. So we have a lot, a lot of regulars, neighborhoody people. These are the people who I find myself buying beer for sometimes. And in my head, I, I say. You mean when you're buying beer? Not like yeah. you grab a six no, pack from the, buy it. No. the bodega and drop it off for them. Like, exactly. hey, Maddie, what's happening, man? I got you the six pack. <laughs> Thanks for coming into Terroir. Here's some beer on me. I haven't seen you for a while. <laughs> exactly. Need some beer delivery? Exactly. No. But but I'll have them in mind when I'm tasting B 
beer or I'm thinking about that or tasting wine, I will be thinking about regulars. Oh, we have this twins who come in often. I know what they're going to like. You know, we have this woman Both who comes in all the time. Both of them. Like. They usually get different things, but around the same same kind of style. Um, Did and, you know that I didn't know in Full House with the twins that they played the same character? I thought it was two different girls, but in fact, it's the same girl. I didn't know that for a long time. Like, when did you learn that? Maybe a month ago. <laughs> I never really watched the show, but the I always show is assumed awful when you go back to that it. there was two of them. You know, speaking you know. of Alanis Morissette, um, apparently was, was that, she on the show? No, that really famous, so, the famous song of her, like the You Oughta Know, is about Dave Coulier, who played Uncle Danny, or Uncle Joey. Uncle Joey. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. She was, like, popular <laughs> for that song. That's the song that, like, made her, right? Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. And it was about him. Wow. And, I mean, maybe you should go back and watch a few more episodes, and you'll see why I said, ugh. Because, I mean, nobody likes Uncle Joey. They like Uncle Jesse. Oh, is that true? Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) She knows now. Oh, man. All right. I can't believe I talked about Full House. I'm just saying. It's your fault. They're still around. I see them sometimes. The the twins. Oh, yeah. They've actually been into Terroir Tribeca. Yeah, they they like to dine. So then there's those kind of girls who come in, like the Terroir Tribeca. Is that who you were talking about? (laughs) Exactly like that. Um, Like with the twins? (laughs) There's these twins that come in. Exactly. These twins that, you know, are famous or not famous. With their new clothing line. Exactly. Um, they you know, they have been in once. Not oh, really? Since. Not since. Uh-huh. Celebrity So signs. Maybe they didn't like my list. What about know. Uncle Joey? Has he ever been in? Uncle Joey's never been in. No, I'm not even sure I'd recognize him uh, if he came in. Uncle Joey likes Narragansett because it tastes like water. Exactly. <laughs> this is what we drink in Canada. <laughs> um, so then there's, you know, the kind of downtown arty people who come in and then oh, those still are in new york they, like, i thought they had moved to la or something <laughs> well maybe now they can afford to live in tribeca so um that's, that's you, you're talking about the arty people who made who it. make money yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely okay um and there's there's a like good the jeff coons arty person the chuck close kind of arty person yeah, the one who's making money. Yeah. Like the Olsen <laughs> yeah. twins. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, but there's, you know, there's that kind of group. And then there's just a, a really good group of people who are in their 30s, maybe late 20s. They've traveled, they're educated, and they're open to learning about wine and they're they're excited to try new things. And that's where I think that's the best way to go into terroir is to say, this is what I like in wine. This is the style I like. What do you recommend? Because there's so much here. And I, I hear that all the time. There's so much here. And I say, well, don't worry about that. That's why I'm here. You just tell me what you like to drink. And uh, we're really lucky that there's a lot of people who who just put them in our hands and say, you take me on a journey. And that's that's a big part of terroir. So what is it that you, just Kiefer, like to drink? I mean, when you're you know, buying wine, what are you like? Mmm, that's a tasty beverage. I can almost drink it right now. Yes, exactly. Uh, I was thinking high life. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, me too. I actually drink a fair amount. I mean, not every day, but when it goes to cheap bottled beer, I'm usually there. When it's ice cold. Like yeah. flakes of ice on it. I mean, it has an actually cult following. You know, now it that does. P- PBR think, has been sold, it's probably. I think it's it's like the industry beer. It, it's like the oh, shift drink that, beer. Is in that my true? Mind. You're well, saying I'm I, like, uh, more uh, stereotypical than I knew? I thought it was like being original on that. I, I mean, I, I know at Hearth, it is the kitchen drink. They oh, okay. buy high life specifically for the kitchen to drink 
for their shift meal. You know, or Danielle, their, their shift meal. This is no <laughs> longer beer. true, but they, a guy used to roll around with an ice trolley that had like Pilsner or Kel and like Chimay and stuff in it. And you got to pick which one you wanted. That's amazing. Yeah, four-star restaurants. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. I mean, and so I, I call it beer-flavored beer. I really enjoy just like a crisp lager, a beer-flavored beer. <laughs> What's rough is when you get the beer that's not flavored like beer. And then you're like, oh, yeah. shit. Oh, wow, this is undrinkable. I love it. But I mean, in terms of wine, I mean. Sure, absolutely. What, what are you drawn to buying these days? I'm, I'm, I'm definitely drawn to buying small production um naturally focused wines meaning that thought has gone into the farming biodynamic organic spontaneous fermentation indigenous yeast that's kind of and why is what i'm drawn to i think i'm i think that i'm drawn to those wines because to me they evoke a complete sense of place okay so you have the sense in your mind that there's a guy with horse and a plow and he's like Got missing yeah, a just, thumb, and I'm just like I love this. But but it's it's that you you're saying the taste or the the idea of the taste. Like I, I'm saying the say t- I'm saying the taste evokes like a terroir evokes place. terroir because there's minimal intervention. Okay. Now some people I think will argue that well, you know, aren't all those things maybe masking the terroir and like adding a little like sulfur? And stuff. Exactly, exactly. Um, and to me, it just seems more true more true expression of the wine. I also think that many natural wines, and I'm saying that with quotations because I think it's a loaded term. All the viewers can see you. Exactly. Um, I think that they're also kind of more approachable on the nose and, and usually immediately expressive and happy to see you. And I like wine that immediately smells delicious and like I want to drink it. I feel like I don't always have time to sit and wait for something to show itself. Like 10 years. Exactly. <laughs> I don't always have time to be at this bar for 10 years waiting for this wine to open up. Well, exactly. And I mean, and my budget, you know, I, I want, I think that often these style of wines are a little bit more affordable and, um, and the price point is there. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't sit around and drink Burgundy or Bordeaux. I, I'm totally happy to have some if someone's got something. I mean, that's, that's, I feel like my, section of the wine world that I haven't even been able to learn about. And that's, it's, it's interesting when I feel like I buy such esoteric wine. And so then to talk about Burgundy and Bordeaux, I'm, that's what, that's what I want to learn about now. I see. It's like, I'm like revolting, not revolting against the, like the wild childs, but the classics are what I want to well, in a way then it's right good now. that you work in Tribeca because there's these dudes who probably can now and again, or women, Mm-hmm. That can afford expensive wine, ish, and then you can try it when you Ab- open it, right? Absolutely, yeah, and that's and that's been been really fun. And um, people don't shy away from price point in Tribeca. It's not that I'm gouging them, but it's exciting to to really be able to just buy and not worry and know that I'm always going to have a range. I'm always going to have something for that Bordeaux guy. I'm always going to have some something for that person who wants like a crazy glass of wine. People walk in and they say, what's the most fucked up wine you have? Like, oh, okay. That's this. How often does that happen? That happens. I would say that happens every day. Okay. Um, You know, so I do try to have something by the glass. Often it's going to be something maybe with like skin contact, white wine with skin contact or, um, or some amphora 
red or white or something like that. And and often it's maybe a grape that somebody's never heard of, like Zena Mavro. That's kind of one of my favorite grapes that nobody's ever heard of and is so delicious. And people people who like Italian wine think usually really kind of flock to Zena Mavro. And which is, you've been to Greece and stuff. I've been to Greece. Yeah, I was... I. I read Gabrielle Hamilton's Blood, Bones, and Butter. and She's so cool, man. I'm interviewing her oh, on awesome. the 20th. I, of she's October. one of my favorites. I, I think I'm, she will open up more to a girl, too, like in terms of an interview. I just hope that I can keep it together because <laughs> I'm, I'm a super big fan. I'm, I'm a big fan. And after reading her book, she spent some time in Greece and she like worked in a a restaurant there where they just made food for that day and that's what the food was. If it ran out, then it was gone. And lived like in a shack on the beach and like bathed in the ocean and I was like, oh my God, Greece sounds like the coolest place. It was like, let me uh, let me go explore Greece. Let me call my reps and say, hey, VOS, hey, Skernik, bring me some Greek wine. I want to taste it. I want to focus on this. And by doing that, I kind of just got thrown in and invited by Steve Olson to uh, to go to Northern Greece. And I know you've been to Greece, too. He, he gets excited about Greece. He gets excited about a lot of things, but he gets excited about Greece, Steve. And I, I think it's worth it. And I think that there's such a, a winemaking history in Greece. It's insane. And they've, they're really kind of having a renaissance where they're coming back to their own grapes, their indigenous grapes, and saying, oh, okay, this is Greek wine. Like, we're not... I think that there's there was a lot of influence with French varieties, Cabernet Sauvignon, there's a lot of that there. And I and then the people who live in Greece, they go to the store and to buy some wine and they're like, I don't want Zina Mavro, I can make that in my backyard. I want Cabernet Sauvignon or something like that. But I think that there's a true renaissance and people are are starting people in Greece are starting to pay attention to their own wine. And uh hopefully more of it keeps coming. Where else have you had a chance to travel? I uh, I got to go to Lediv, speaking of natural wine, in February, which was amazing. So you're in the Loire. In the Loire Valley. We stayed in Bourgoy and... Uh, with I always thought he was Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot even tell you how many times I was corrected when I was in France when I said, we're staying in Bourgoy. Like, Bourgoy. I, I don't speak any French. That's that's what it sounded like to me in my head. You got to get the lips going. <laughs> Bourgoy. <laughs> I could do it all day. Go ahead. I'm sure you could. I'm just. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm better than you. I'm just saying it fascinates me. The motorboat lips. Not being able to speak French is. is I don't speak French. That's better either. than I me. can do lips though. Okay, got it. <laughs> so you can fake it. Got it. perfect. Um, so we went to Ladiv, which is a huge natural wine fair, and uh, that was that was quite exciting. And by huge natural wine fair, I mean how many people is that really? And I mean, is it like Vin Expo? There's like ten thousand stalls, or so like fifty guys, or. I'm going to say, I'm going to keep it in the hundreds, but I've I, I been, might say like so. 500. Um, and I could be totally under guessing that. But it was huge. And it's mostly people from France, but there were some Spanish people. Dirty and Rowdy was there. Oh, okay. Um, and Arpepe was there. Rowania was there. So there was some Italian people there. And then the big buzz was about the Georgian group. Yeah. And someone, <laughs> someone, someone told me it's a danger of getting overhyped just the other day. So, so it was like, I don't know, it's, George is in danger of getting overhyped. I'm like, really? Like, I, you must be looking at the scales differently than me. You know, overhyped for me would be like, oh, it's in the Minneapolis airport again. 
<laughs> I hope you I know. hope they don't get overhyped. I mean, they deserve overhyped. It. Would be like, oh, you mean like Alanis Morissette? Alanis Morissette and Uncle Joey are drinking it. That would be overhyped. <laughs> it's on everybody's. Inst- it's on Katy Perry's Twitter feed. Oh my God, Katy Perry! Another That's story. who they need to get behind them to endorse to get Georgian wine throughout the country. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know I, if it's gonna. Happen. I think Ray Charles. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously he comes cheap because he's dead. <laughs> but I mean. You know, Georgia, you know, like, you know, do it, do yeah, it that way. Yeah, I see where you're going with that. Yeah. I'm just great. saying, you know, <laughs> become big in the South. Atlanta is a good market for wine. I mean, it would take the explanation that Georgia is not the state, it's the country. That would, t- that would take Wait, a lot. hold on. What? <laughs> Blowing your mind. <laughs> you mean they're the same person? Both twins are the same person on the show? Yeah. I really wish I was with you when you found that out. I really wasn't I that tell long you ago. you're an idiot. <laughs> a lot of things have happened in my life at a late stage, and that was one of them. I'm like a rocket to the moon. I have late stages. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're at the Deve. How'd you like it? I, love, I loved being there. I really did. I was a little uh, standoffish in a way that I I don't want to be when I'm talking to producers, but it was because of my language barrier and I was reliant on other people to, to ask the questions for me. And that kind of, that was tough. That was really tough. Cause a lot of times they forget and they just get into the thing and they forget to translate. Exactly. And you're like standing there and you're like, okay, this is like the 90th, you know, Cabernet Franc I've tasted today. My tongue hurts. My face hurts, my feet hurt, and I can't communicate. Because isn't it cold there? I mean, people always complain. That yeah, I mean, we were inside of a cob. It was like this big, massive cob, and we were. Do you know what they call a man cave in France? A mon cob? Yeah. <laughs> You're the only one who's got it. I've said that joke like several times, and no one ever gets it. We're simpatico. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah, we are. Um, so, but, we but, would play uh, the same person on Full House. That's how simpatico we are. I would be Uncle Jesse because of my name. <laughs> Uncle jo- oh, it's not Joey? I've been saying Joey for like... No, the, no, Uncle Joey. I'm telling you, oh, Uncle okay, Jesse okay. is the one that you want to be. I thought you were the guy on 24. <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland. Exactly, exactly. My brother. My famous brother. Um, it was great. Ladiv was... But Ladiv was... It was really eye-opening, and it was really cool to just kind of... I think to learn about the Loire, because the Loire is such a... It's such a focus for natural wine, and to see how flat it is. And to see how far east Sancerre is and to to really get an idea of what's of what's happening there and to see all of these people, these like minded people kind of converging and, and coming and, and talking about wine. But aside from that, I mean, it was my first trip to France and I still got a whole lot to learn. So you come back and at some point you get involved with a radio show for Heritage Radio. And how did that happen? So while working at Terroir, I was approached by a bar regular named Jason Colucci, and he said that he had a radio show on Heritage Radio Network. I'd never heard of it, but he asked... You'd never heard of Heritage I'd Radio? I'd never heard of Heritage Radio, no. Because I think that would be different now, right? Like, it's pretty popular. I would hope so. I mean, I guess I'm so inside of it that I don't really know what its reach is, but I feel like at this point in my career, I, I would hope to God I knew about Heritage Radio, because I think it's, it's very important for Do they call themselves the Phoenicians? So. <laughs> not at all. Okay. Not at all. Um, so I was approached by the th- this gentleman, Jason Colucci, and he had a sponsor for his radio show that was a wine distributor. Oh, okay. Or wine winemaker, I guess. And it was some awful Spanish 
Garnacha Blanca or something like that. And he asked me and my friend Will Piper and other coworker Tobias Rower to come on to his show and talk about his sponsor's wine. And it was so nerve wracking for me. I was excited to do it, but I was terrified to talk on air. And I, I kind of like now. Exactly. I'm shaking right now. But it, it's intense to to go on to a live show and project what you want to project, say the things that you want to say, and not sound like an idiot doing it. What did you think about your performance? I, I thought I did terrible because I I was nervous. And I he asked me like, oh, so, you know, who's... Uh, who are, who are the bosses over there at Terror Trebek? And I just said my GM because that's the person I saw all the time. You're like, Nicole, um, she runs the place. Yeah, it's like Nicole Ciani. She's, uh, she's awesome over there. And I think Will was like, and maybe someone named Paul Greco and Marco Canora. I was like, don't. Felt like such an idiot. But I still had the balls afterwards, probably some of the wine, to say, hey, Jason, I have a degree in broadcast journalism. Do you need a producer? That's pretty cool, though. You just led with that? I, I, was, I told him that. I absolutely led with that. And he was like, Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, why don't you, you know, come the next couple Sundays, see how the show goes, and then put a show together, and then we'll decide if, you know, you're going to work out. And so my first show, I went back to my Boca Rio Roots, and I got Seamus to come on the show, and it was at the time he had oh, uh, just opened Tertulia. Well, well played, I think. And uh, I had him on the show, and um, I also had Steve, uh, cannot remember his last name, he's the cider maker for Farnham Hill. Oh, okay. Um, and I and Seamus had opened Tertulia, which is an Asturian cider bar. Oh, right. Cider making in uh, New Hampshire. Kind of made sense. Um, that was that the first show I put together. And that was episode nine. What and was it like doing production? It was, um, I mean, doing production meaning that I'm organizing the show. Because we do have engineers at, at Heritage. Um, I mean, wrangling Jason was difficult. He's very, he was all over the place. Uh, there were a lot of crazy conversations, but I was getting, I was reaching out to guests and I was using kind of, some of it was using my connection at Terroir. I wasn't managing at the time, but to get people, and we had Daniel Jonas on at the time, uh, Amanda Freitag on at the time, and um, eventually Jason got a job with the EMM group and couldn't continue hosting. And so I kind of fished around to decide if I wanted to have a host for the show and ultimately decided that I know the most about this, so why don't I do it? But I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I knew I wanted a uh, a co-host, someone to kind of stop me when I'm saying dumb things or to to pick up if I don't have something to say or just really kind of like a security blanket at first. That's what it felt like. I mean, do you ever wish you had someone else to... I find that doing panels in terms of live, because mm-hmm. I don't do this live, right? I find that doing panels where you're one speaker amongst a couple is so much easier than carrying an hour or two hours of talking for me mm-hmm. by myself. So No, absolutely. It, it takes it takes a little bit off your shoulders. and um, Because my approach to this show is to take out all the, you know, really good things I say and make myself look dumber. <clears throat> but, you know, I have that ability because it's not live. It's a great strategy. I'm just saying. I, I don't <laughs> want people to expect... That I'm going to be so smart. Keep the standards low. And when they come in. Got you know, it. Surprise them. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's a good strategy. Drop like the RN knowledge. <laughs> never saw it coming. I'll yeah. never forget it, though. Yo, Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. Probably See, wrong. we're learning together. You're probably wrong about that. <laughs> so. Um, so I ended up deciding to take over and getting a co-host. My fir- first co-host was my friend, Jen Tullock, who is hilarious. And she really brought some great things to the show. 
And before it was just kind of a question answer kind of format, usually two guests. And Jen and I decided to create segments, which creates, at least for me, is is a great way to structure the show. So I know that in the beginning of the show, I'm going to have this segment that at the time was called Front of House, which was horror stories about, you know, working in the front of house from the front of house perspective. That's like sexually promiscuous front of the house people? Potentially. Okay. Well, I said horror stories. So Got it. Horror stories. Horror. <laughs> horror. Horror stories. That sounded like Scooby-Doo. That was awesome. You're welcome. <laughs> and it was read by Jen as the Dame Joan Plowright, the Baroness Olivier, which basically... Oh, that's right. I remember her doing that. Sounds like an you know, old lady, old British woman telling the story, but it's really funny. And it's kind of it was kind of taken from the actress reading Yelp review kind of idea. Because she had an actress background. She is an actor and she's a comedian and she's incredibly funny. So she really brought a lot to that with creating that voice. And then we'd have the interview and then we would have our next segment, which was called What's on the Menu at Chardonnay's. Chardonnay's being our mythical restaurant that celebrates all bad food and wine trends. And that we must would, have endeared you to Paul with his like anything but Chardonnay. Like, <laughs> We're gonna make fun of Chardonnay, Paul. We got this mythical restaurant that only serves Chardonnay. It's like the Lake Wobegon, except it's Wobecome. <laughs> I mean, it's fair to make fun of Chardonnay because it doesn't need my help. Mm-hmm, doesn't mm-hmm. need your help. It's doing fine. It definitely doesn't need Paul's help, and he could care less. But also, it was it was this fake thing that my friend Brian had come up with, and we would joke around. I I, I imagine you do this with wine. You say like f- just fake, ridiculous profile of wine or something. I don't know. Make it up, and that's kind of where Chardonnays came from. Sometimes you could spell it like mayonnaise if you wanted to Chardonnays. Sometimes you could spell it with a Z if you wanted to. Uh, <laughs> we've thought about all these things. Ultimately, it is just apostrophe S, spelled correctly. Um, and there actually is a restaurant in Connecticut called Chardonnay's. Oh, really? Which is every super happy with you guys. I don't think they know who the hell we are. Uh, I'm amazed we haven't been there. But anyway, so that's kind of what Jen and I brought to the show. Road these- trip. <laughs> it's going to happen one day. I have a desire, a big desire to do that. And what would you learn doing the show? I mean... So doing the show, I took that on as the host and co-producer. And it was like at the exact same time I started my job as the GM and beverage director at Terror War Tribeca. Oh, my so God. It was kind was of like, lot. it was crazy. My Saturn returned. It was like my big, right, right, my big moment. Right. And uh, what I learned was that even if you're scared shitless to do things, just do them because it's worth it. And... I I mean, the show has completely melded everything that I've done as far as my career, which is working in restaurants, because the journalism thing never picked up when I expected it to. But then it's taken that thing that I really wanted to do, but didn't work out and combined it completely and perfectly. So I get to talk about food and wine on air. That's kind of amazing. And talk to interesting people like you, Levy. Well, besides that part, what's Heritage Radio like, though? I mean, they're nice people. Or? Heritage Radio is um, was started by Patrick Martins of Heritage Food. Um, they're great there, and they are so encouraging, and they have really been able to build quite a little community. I wish that I could tell you how many shows are on now. It's probably in the 40s, almost all uh, I feel like focusing. it's higher than that. I don't know. Very possible. I don't work for them like you do, but I just think it's probably a lot. It's it's a solid amount. I, I, okay, maybe I'll say 50. 
but it also they want to have enough that so that they can manage it too because we're still a nonprofit. So Patrick Martin started it. It's uh, two shipping containers. So those things that you see on a ship or on a train turned into a radio studio in the backyard of Roberta's. And which is a place, a restaurant in Brooklyn. Which is a restaurant in Brooklyn, yeah. Pizza restaurant in Brooklyn. Kind of like right on the restaurant. There's glass and there's people dining on the other side of that glass. Yeah, there's a cutout window into the studio and there is a table set up right next to it. So it's the awkward date table. And uh, every Sunday at brunch, I get to see two, you know, hungover kids having brunch and and I'm sitting there talking on the radio. Any memorable stories there? We were flashed once. Oh, really? Yes. I I would imagine that would happen more than once. I wish it did. (laughs) (laughs) Must have been a well-toned body in your case. I mean, it's Hipsterville. There's some pretty people there. Sure, sure, sure. So it wasn't wasn't the most appalling thing. I actually wish it had been directed at me. It was directed at, at, uh, at someone else. But yeah, a woman just knocked on the glass and lifted her shirt. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, so never a dull moment at uh, Roberta's and Heritage Radio. I mean, it's it's a great thing, and I encourage everybody to listen. I encourage everybody to donate because we, you know. I would imagine that someone would turn and be trying to be like, can I get more salt? Like through the, <laughs> can you help me? This egg is undercooked or something. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm. you're right. I'm surprised. But I think people realize that we are not a part of right, that of place. Of their dining experience. <laughs> of their dining experience. We're just making it more awkward for them. And they're probably, like, thinking about the fact that people are looking at them. Right. I would get really self-conscious. I wouldn't want to sit there either. I know that when I go to the zoo and I look at the penguins, they don't seem so self-conscious. But, you know, if that were me diving into the thing or whatever and sitting on rocks, sunning on rocks. I You'd would be, be like, like, people are watching me people in are my body. Me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, the only other story I have is just that you, what usually happens is people just accidentally hit the window oh, a okay. lot. So people like their fork, their water bottle, something. And then we do our best to stare at them and right. make them stare feel them even down. more awkward. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> Give them the look, the finger wag. Yep. Absolutely. But I, I do the show every Sunday, three to four. It's you know certainly difficult to do the job that I do running a restaurant and then also be working on, on, sa- on Sunday as well yeah. um, because you're doing prep all day and during the week you're getting guests, getting and, guests. and organizing things. But, but what I have now, I co-host it with this woman, Sari Kamen. She uh, has a, um, a master's in food studies. So she brings kind of the more food history side to my just drinking knowledge. So you changed co-hosts. We had I changed co-hosts because Jen ultimately is an actor and she had to focus on things that give her, make her money and will propel her career. And unfortunately, uh, food radio wasn't but totally did, that. Did that change you when you have a different co-host? Is there like a different rhythm? Totally. I was very comfortable with Jen. She was my friend and we had a similar kind of back and forth and, and it was very comfortable. And so when... She had to leave. I was kind of lost a little bit at first because I didn't know how to proceed forward. I really liked what we were doing. and Was it like one of those moments where you're like, oh, maybe I won't do the show anymore, like that kind of thing? Yeah. But then I thought about how much I'd put into it and why in the world would I stop doing something that's so amazing and I'm so lucky to do. And, and I got in it four years ago when there weren't that many shows and I've built archives for that many years. So why would I want to, to fuck that up? And so I, with help 
from my new co-host, she and I just, and with the executive director, Aaron Fairbanks, we really rebuilt the show and kept all the good stuff, but created new segments and things that fit the chemistry between Sari and I and fit what Sari knows, which is, like I said, kind of more food history and, and all of that. And so now we have new segments and I'm really happy with the way the show has gone. The show at, at this point is exactly what I want it to be and it's only getting better. Do you think it's changed you at a personal level? I think that when I was in school and I was trying to be a journalist, I didn't realize that you really need to know something else. You need to focus on something else. And I think what the show has taught me is that I did go about it in the right ways for myself. And I I did make the right decisions. So however roundabout way I came to having the show, and especially coming through it through the, the restaurant industry, that those were the right choices. I guess I feel like when you're younger, you're like, am I making the right decision? Like what what am I what am I doing with my life? And now I know. Jess Kiefer, she knows what she's doing, and now we do too. Thank you very much for being here today. It's been great, Levy. Thank you. Jess Kiefer of The Morning After on Heritage Radio and also the general manager and wine buyer at Terroir Tribeca in Manhattan. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.